This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. Uh, my guest on the podcast today is Paul Arney of the Ale Apothecary in Bend, Oregon. Welcome to the uh, podcast, Paul. Hello. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're going to talk about all sorts of fun things today from brewing uh, mixed culture, farmhouse, sour, wild, whatever you want to call them, beers. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the trends in that kind of industry and where those things are going these days. Uh, uh, I think the death of that style has been greatly exaggerated. But uh, certainly things are, are changing at a rapid pace. Uh, can't wait to get into uh, with you, Paul. But first, nearly 2,000 breweries across the U.S., Canada, and Mexico partner with G&D Chillers. Innovative modular designs and no proprietary parts propel G&D ahead as the premier choice for your glycol chilling needs. Breweries you recognize, Russian River, Nankasi, Jack's Abbey, Sam Adams, and more, trust G&D to chill the beer you love. Call G&D Chillers to discuss your project today or reach out directly at gdchillers.com. Also, Old Orchard supplies craft juice blends from the heart of Beer City, USA. As the industry blending experts, they supply major national brands and growing breweries alike. They've been the best kept juicy secret in craft beverage for years, but now the secret's out. Breweries across the board are experiencing a seamless transition to Old Orchard as their new juice supplier. So hop aboard the Old Orchard Fruit Train. Their sample kit starter pack is waiting for you at www.oldorchard.com slash brewer. Paul, tell me a little bit about your arc in brewing and how you got to where you are today uh, owning, operating the Ale Apothecary, a very small, very niche mildly esoteric, uh, creative uh, brewing institution out there in the woods in Bend, Oregon, and then, of course, now with the tap room as well. Talk to me a little bit about how you got to that place in brewing right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so uh, I got my uh, initial start in brewing with my father. Um, I was 18 years old and uh, looking for something to buy him for Christmas and ended up buying him a homebrew kit. And so we uh, we made a couple batches of bitter um, it was one of these things that, it, it's, uh, as I was getting to that particular age, you know, like, uh, leaving, leaving high school, getting into college and, um, it was great to find something that dad and I could do together. You know sure, what I mean? Sure. It's like, I got a 14 year old now and we're starting to get into that. It's like, what do you do? You know, like, how do you yeah. find these common grounds? And, um, beer worked, it worked for us. Um, so we brewed a few batches and, and I went away to college, um, Followed, um, followed my heart uh, and ended up with a geology degree with no actual plans on how to use it. And when I got out of college and found out that there were uh, mining jobs and, uh, you know, USGS jobs, sure, sure. desk jobs, those things weren't so appealing. <laughs> so I took Welcome that. to resource extraction. Hello. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was really, uh, uh, you know, I, I entered on this path and uh, let's just say that the school that I went to didn't do the best job of guiding me into a career. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I like rocks and I like the outdoors. So it, it worked. It, I, I drawn this from time to time. But uh, I ended up working in a coffee shop um, in, uh, in 
uh, I guess that was South Everett um, back when Starbucks was still cool. And uh, there was this one, one, uh, one customer that would come in a fair amount, and I got to know him pretty good. And he was running the, the Glacier Peak Brew House in Everett, Washington. His name was Tom Munoz. Uh, and he invited me to, uh, to shadow him a little bit, which I did. And uh, at the same time, a, uh, uh, a graduate from my high school, Jeff Matheson, was working at the Red Hook plant. Um, and then he transitioned into Maritime Pacific, I believe. And so I, I shadowed these guys and it was just, it was fascinating and interesting, you know, cause I'd worked with my father home brewing. And, um, basically when I, I, I came away from that, it's just like, I, I could do this. This is, this seems like a better job than, uh, than slinging coffee. Um, and so I, I put myself through the UC Davis master brewers program, uh, sold my van and, uh, went to school and got my foot in the door and in a way that, uh, you know, looking back on it, it's like, I probably should have just got a job cleaning kegs or something, but, um, I was <laughs> sure, able, sure. you know, at 24 years old, I was able to, uh, to land a, a brewing job down at Deschutes Brewery down in Bend, Oregon. It was great. Uh, wife and I got married two weeks before the move. And so it was a, you know, big transition, right? Sure. Sure. Marriage and a career job. And so, uh, we moved down there and, uh, I worked my way up in the chain and by, you know, 2011, I was assistant master brewer and had, uh, quite a bit of brewing experience under my belt. Lots of, you know, we sure, had three different brew sure. houses and, and all sorts of stuff. And, but the, uh, the, the challenge, uh, for me was the, as how far away that I had moved from the actual art of brewing. Right. Sure. Um, so, so I quit. It's a bold move walking away from a nice career at a stable company with a, you know, good salary and nice benefits and then going to launch your own thing in 2011. Yeah. 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 When you put it like that, it sounds really stupid. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think there's You're not a number the only of one that had that same drive that is, uh, you know, uh, doing it today. But, uh, but right, you know, there's, you know, talk to me a little bit about that vision. Like, what was it at that point um, that said, hey, this needs to exist in the world and I need to be the one to make it? Yeah, I think um, what it came down to initially was a, a it was a frustration was, um, there, uh, you know, I remember when I left uh, the, that coffee shop, one of the women that I worked with, uh, she was older than me and had, had a family. I respected her a lot. Um, when I told her that I was going away to become a brewer, uh, the word that she described was noble. How noble? I still remember that. It was like, and it struck me because I was, you know, I was in my early 20s. It's was like, noble? That's a, that's a kind of a serious word, you know? That's not how I thought about sure, beer, you know? Sure. And as, as my education in understanding beer and um, the culture and the history as, as it pertains to us humans, it is noble. Like uh, the brewing arts have, are, are pretty significant for us humans. And so when I found myself, um, well, let, let me say before that, you know, like uh, applying myself at a, at a company like Deschutes that had enough money to um, supply these whims of discovery and have the funds to say, sure, you want to go make this beer with these strawberries in these barrels, or um, you need a piece of equipment, what is it that we need to do, and, and fund those kind of things, uh, it was great. Uh, when I found my, my, my track, or let's say the career track, uh, you know, how it pulls, you know, and this happens in lots of industries, right? You know, any craft, if you keep moving upwards in a successful business, 
all roads end in management. Yes, they do. You know? Sure, sure. And at the time... I've been there myself. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, I, look at a lot of spread, I looked at a lot of spreadsheets at one point in my career. So. Right, and they're important, you know, sure, and especially sure. where I'm at now. You Solved know. a lot of interpersonal issues between people working for me. I, I get you. you know? <laughs> but at, at the particular time that, you know, I was, uh, you know, not ready to, yeah, to sure, uh, accept sure. that as my fate. And, uh, and so... In, you know, I didn't have any vision. There wasn't, there wasn't something else. I, I had a 401k and, um, I, I gave a healthy amount of notice to the brewery because, you know, they, they taught me and I, I wanted to give back. Sure. Um, but no, I, I, and so between, let's say it was, uh, um, I think it was probably the first bit of 2011 in January when I gave my notice and I, um, left there officially in May and that five month window is when I, you know, kind of distilled down what, what's important to me. What, you know, is, if this is going to be my career, what are the things about beer that speak to me as a, as a human, as a person? Right. And how can I celebrate those things that uh, I wasn't finding myself in the position to do in another, another realm, say? Um, and so it really came down to, um, you know, the, the, the bare bones, the, 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 the bottom line with uh, historical beer is, you know, um, brewers that uh, knew how to make this stuff would, would source their ingredients locally. They would put them together with their creative brain um, using the water and the yeast that were available. You know, it's like, uh, that's why we don't, I don't source anything through a catalog. You know, yeah. it's like, uh, it's very important to me to try to, to make things as natural as possible. Um, and that was, that was it. It's like, we have a unique location. So let's take that location and, and use the ingredients that are from around there and put it together in our own unique way and see if that we can contribute to this greater, this greater thing that we call beer. Uh, and so you focus on, uh, some pretty specific styles with the apothecary. Um, generally sour beer styles, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, this is uh, it's a pretty tight niche, you know, for the brewing that you, uh, you know, kind of pursue here. What drove that kind of inspiration? Yeah. And you know, honestly, I would, I would say that, uh, style has never been something that I've been in pursuit of. It's, uh, huh. making, uh, making this completely natural product, you know, um, has been, been the drive, right? And because we don't use um, chemical sanitizers, because we're using wood for our vessels and we're trying to um, make mixed culture beers with the uh, microflora that's available, we're just doing the best that we can um, with certain boundaries, shall we say, right? And so with that, um, especially initially, uh, it was all long-term barrel-aged beers that uh, we call sours, right? And, and, and in this industry, I realize that we've come to this place where that is the going, it's the going um, category where we call these things sours, but it's, it's always been a struggle because um, one of my favorite experiences is when you get people who, uh, who say, oh, you know, beer's not my thing, or, uh, you know, I don't, I don't like sours. And then they, they have our beer and uh, they're like, oh, that's, that's actually quite good, you know, and, um, sour as a word, especially for people who aren't familiar, typically means, you know, if like milk goes sour, these, these are not right. Negative connotations, negative connotations. Yeah. And, um, that's something I'm, 
I'm learning to live with this this branding, <laughs> right? Um, what would you call it then? Well, that's and, not. And I agree with you. I think you know. I, I try not to just talk about things as sour. I try to talk about the acid component in these beers. You know, acid is a component. Um, you know, in all sorts of food and all cooking, everything that we do, all all beverages. You know. Um, it's not that, you know, and there are huge amounts of acids and other kinds of beverages. It's just, they have a lot of other things in them too. So you don't taste the acid to the same degree. Uh, you know, with your kind of beer, how, how do you, in your, your mind in this ideal world, yeah, uh, and that's how, what it is, how, right? right? <laughs> how, how would you describe it? What do you call them? Well, you know, or, or is that even that need to create a hierarchy and taxonomy for these things unnecessary? I mean, I know we're humans, especially from this Western mind. We have this bent towards taxonomy. We have to put things into buckets. We have to find ways to, uh, and you know, figure out that this is like this and this is like this. And this is, you know, we have words that describe these things, you know, cause that does seem to be this kind of like foundation of human knowledge in general that we have, like being able to draw these comparisons between things. Um, not that those taxonomies are always, always beneficial. They often are reductive and incomplete and not descriptive of what those things are. But for you, is there a term, is there a way that you think about these beers that's beyond that or something different? I mean, there is a, definitely a way I think about them. Um, but I have found through the, the years that we've been in business that, uh, it's much easier just to fall into this, you know, you know, you can only, I find myself like it can only be anti so much, right? right I, we right. can't be anti everything. Um, so lately, and I would say in the last two to three years, uh, I've kind of um, swallowed that pill and we do refer to our beers as sours, <laughs> okay. you know, um, you're picking your battles. We, you, you do, you know, and yeah, it, it is yeah. one of those things, but I, and, you know, when we have people uh, like yourself and like your audience that um, can appreciate this conversation and we can sure. bring it up and talk about it, it's like, you know, I, I will, <laughs> but it's like, you know, like, I guess what I, you know, what I, the, 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 the elevator speech that has been distilled down to, um, you know, uh, what I tell people is locally sourced, uh, barrel aged natural beer, you know, is those are, those are kind of the, uh, as a result, you know, of, because the beer is natural and we're using this wild fermentation microflora, that's not just a single yeast. We end up with sour beer. You know, and if we get to that point and we can start talking about it, that's fine. But it's like if, if somebody's, you know, actually like on the list today, you know, out here skiing around, it's like when somebody asks me about my brewery, you know, I tell them that we, we, we get our ingredients from local farms. Uh, we, we make as natural product as we can and we age it in barrels. Let's talk a little bit more about that. And let's talk, you know, because as much as, you know, we'd like to think that things are purely natural, there is some process and some guidance in the hand of the artist and craftsman. Yeah, and the this. definition of natural is like, and I realize that, right? Everybody has their own definition, and so, yeah. right. There's definitely some intention and, and and some guidance and some you know you know pushing and direction on this. Let's let's dig into that a little bit more. Uh, but first, the founders launched SS Brewtech with a very clear goal to advance brewing equipment design, performance, and quality to the very highest standards in the industry. With a team that draws upon strong functional backgrounds in brewing science, mechanical engineering, industrial design, supply chain and manufacturing, SS Brewtech has the people and skill sets you want and expect from your supplier of pro brewing equipment. Head over to ssbrewtech.com for more information on their brew houses and brewing gear. 
Also, did you know the breweries that serve food see an increase in revenue of 1.8x? Second Kitchen is a food tech startup that connects local breweries to iconic neighborhood restaurants to help provide your brewery with food experiences that keep customers in your tap room longer. Second Kitchen provides the technology, support, custom menus, and more, all at no cost to your brewery. So you you start this brewery to make this kind of beer, and the style of beer that you end up making is driven by this desire to make as natural a product as you can, and to kind of move th- past some of this uh, more industrialized production. Not not that that in itself is bad. It's just totally. it is the way that you know more large volume commercial craft brewers do brew. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you decide. I drink a lot of that. I, you know, it's I, not it, and that I is. Too. I think that's yeah. very, and I will say, you know, as a as a, a way to make a point, it's. Um, I think what what I'm trying to do is more of a. Uh, it's almost like an art installation. Right. It's not this is I realize completely these are not the daily drinkers for most people. Um, But what I'm trying to do is celebrate this this career and this uh, this craft that I that I love. Right. And uh, as we're transitioning into this future where technology is becoming more and more important um, for me, I I believe wholeheartedly that uh, to make some of the best beer, not saying it has not I'm not referring directly to mine, but just. Without the technology, you can make world-class beer. And uh, I think that is something that is, to me, is, is extremely important. The, uh, the, um, in these other industries, um, especially like wine, when people are talking about, the, uh, you know, it's all about the grape and we're trying to, we're trying to we're, we farm. Basically, they're, they're growing the grapes for the wine and, and, you know, the real winemaking happens in the farming. Well, with beer, it happens in the process. And uh, the brewer is part of that process, and that that really is essential to to my my vision of what we're trying to do. Is we're trying to celebrate the brewer, we're trying to celebrate all that's possible, and uh, and and kind of just make sure that we we hold on to some of this history as we move forward into the future. Talk to me a little bit about you know you're talking about this kind of move away from technology. Talk to me a little bit about your brew house and how you've set that up. Uh, in order to keep that brewer closer to the the beer that you're making itself, yeah, yeah. So it's a uh, you know everything. It's it's very manual, right? Obviously, uh, you know our location is we're we're about uh, we're like 4,700 feet. You know, about 1,500 feet higher than Bend, Oregon, but we're 10 miles west of there. Um, and we've got this. Uh, it's uh, our property's up uh, in the forest, and so um, you know when when I let's just say the first well the first it's really hard to say how many of these batches of beer was, was a struggle, but I can remember the very first brew day I had in this brew house, right? I'd spent this, all this money that I had my, you know, my, my retirement, (laughs) my retirement and, uh, and my dad gave me a bit of a loan. And so I'd spent all this and I designed this brewery and had focused, um, as much as I could on how do I, how do I make good beer without all that equipment? Right. And so, um, uh, Using barrels uh, and wood products, you know, I'm not. I've never been a fabricator. I'm not a welder. Um, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm not really that good of a carpenter. But I'm a better carpenter than I'm a welder, right? Um, and here, wood was this thing that I was uh, really wanting to use. I wanted the the brew house and the and the and our brewery to have as little stainless as possible. So I really started with with a bunch of the you know these. Um, 
loose ideas, right? Like, uh, what, what makes me feel good? Right. And, 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 um, I don't know if I can swear, but, uh, we're all 21 here. Okay. That's this, great. Right? I mean, it, it was like to do something like this, uh, when I decided that I was going to spend my retirement, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to give, right? This is, I was throwing everything at this and I really just was like, if this, this has to work, if it doesn't work the way that I want, well, fuck it. It's not, it's not going to. And, um, I, I placed a lot of, uh, governors in, in, you know, like in the process and in, yeah, I guess at the business to kind of keep me honest because I, um, you know, before I moved into the realm, this was my first business. I, you know, I had no experience and it was still easy for me to carry on this proletariat attitude, right? It's just like, this has to work. And if it doesn't, fuck it. Um, and so, uh, I started with this idea. I'm going to use oak barrels as much as possible. I'm going to eliminate stainless as much as I can. And these aren't, these aren't things that I was saying, um, had any value as far as like process. They were just visions, right? It's like, sure, cause sure. I had to, I had to start somewhere. I wasn't starting with a business plan. Um, and you know, now looking back on it, there's so many things I probably would have done differently, but, but thank God I didn't, you know, cause, uh, we wouldn't, I wouldn't have this, uh, very unique little, little thing going on right now. Um, and so, you know, it was Oak Barrels. Uh, it was, I, I found a, a guy up in Olympia who had been making copper stills and I had him make my brew kettle. Um, and, you know, I knew the, the, the you know, all the, uh, working in the industrial environment, you know, uh, there's certain things brewers talk about every day, right? I mean, it's like beyond the production of like trying to, um, you know, shift brewing and, and trying to make all these beers hit targets, each one of them, you're trying to, um, there's, there's some very basic things, right? I mean, for, if we're going to be harvesting our yeast, uh, on the second and third day of fermentation, I want a clean wort. I don't want it to be getting diluted down with this trube, right? And so for us, um, we grind in and mash, um, in the evening, we will, uh, the next following day, we'll run off to a brew kettle, uh, and boil and all that. And then we'll run that wort, the boiled wort through a heat exchanger into a, a large barrel, which we call our settling barrel and allow the hot and the cold break to settle out. So it takes us like 40 hours to go from uh, <laughs> grinding grain to, to yeah, pitching our yeah. yeast, you know, and, and that's basically because, um, I wanted to make sure that we're making the best way we can, you know, and if we're harvesting our yeast that, uh, that we're removing as much of the troop as possible. Um, and these were all things that I was uh, gathering from my my previous, you know, sure, industrial job. Sure. But what came out of it, and I think this is where I find um, I find the most joy because I didn't set a destination. Um, I went in with this idea, like if I can get the ball rolling, you know, I'm going to trust Mother Nature on certain things. Um, we're going to move through the process and the beer is going to be what it is and I'm going to trust that it's going to be good because I have a base knowledge. And if I set this thing up and start rolling down the hill, snowball is going to get bigger. Um, it's going to eventually be, be something worthwhile and unique to us, right? It's going to have that house character that we can claim as ours. Um, and I guess one example is that is this overnight mashing thing, you know, is at the time, uh, since it it was just me, uh, we had very small children. I think it was like one in three years old. 
Um, and I'd read about these Scandinavian brewers that some of them would, you know, wrap their mash tons in blankets and mash overnight. And for me, it was a, a practical decision. Oh, here we go. You know, like I, I you know, we put the kids to bed. Um, I'll go out and do my little mash thing. And, and the next morning I'll be that much further ahead. It's, it's just works better for our family environment at the time. But as uh, time has gone by, um, and talking to other brewers and experiencing the mouthfeel of our beer, I think we're getting tannin extraction that is developing into this mouthfeel that we really couldn't get any other way. Um, and those are the, um, those are the things that just make me glow because it's like, you know, I, 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 I definitely do not pretend to know uh, everything or even um, a moderate amount about this beer making, sure. right? I mean, I've had a lot of experience in it, but I, you know, every brewery you go into, every brewery is different. Um, and most of the times when you get your tour and you see something unique and you say, hey, you know, well, how'd you end up doing this? Well, it all leads to that point from trial and error. Well, this is this is where we were at. And somebody tried this thing and, and something happened. And so we have now implemented that into our process and, and that house character can't be built any other way, you know? Um, and so I'm through, through these, through these years, uh, I'm, I'm a firm believer that house character, uh, is in the process is equal to the raw materials, right? So like, um, we source really high, you know, really high quality, um, raw materials, you know, they're local and, uh, I know the farmers, but I also believe that our process this even includes malted grain, malted grain. Yeah. 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 We have, we got the, the Klon family up in Madras is, um, started their project about the same time we did, which was okay. very fortunate. Right. You know, cause we were, I was looking to keep everything Oregon. And right. so, you know, have these guys up the road, um, growing and malting grain was, was wonderful. Um, but just to, to kind of finish that thought is uh, this idea that um, process and house character and its impact on the beer, uh, to me, it's, it's equal in, in the impact to the raw material selection, right? Um, because of the, 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 at least for some of the beers that we're making, you know, like uh, maybe it wouldn't be so apparent in uh, a heavily hopped beer, sure, but you know, sure. we're, we're, we're going for these subtle nuances, um, the fact that we have this really goofy process, uh, it's, it's about as important as it could be. No, I think, you know, in this kind of sour mixed culture beer world, you know, that kind of house character piece is often associated directly with the culture, you know, which is really that kind of, you know, fermentation process and not necessarily focused on what you're talking about, which is all the other pieces of this, of this brewing process, Everything from and you use a it's a wood fired kettle, is it not? No, it's, oh, it's not. not. Okay. I, I considered that, but I okay. mean, you know, there's got to be there's got to be reality <laughs> and limits. You know, I mean, I actually some considered, concessions to modernity I, there. I mean, I considered making my own uh, a caustic soda with the ash that would have been left over from this wood fired kettle. Okay. You know, and it's like, just wait a minute, hold on. What, what, what are we doing? We're making beer here, yeah, like uh, yeah. we're not. You know, and um, and then that's another thing too. You know, it's like a, a lot of these uh, breweries. Um, especially breweries are going into, you know, growing their own grain or malting their grain or, or growing fruit or having a farm and, and doing all these other things beyond the scope of beer brewing, which I admire. Um, I, I just, uh, for us, I feel fortunate that we can source these materials nearby from farms and can focus specifically on this odd way that we make beer. Yeah. 
Um, so walk me through now you're, you're mashing overnight, you're running through your boil process. Talk to me a little bit about fermentation and talk to me then a little bit also, you know, as I alluded to earlier about how you built a culture and, uh, built a, uh, this thing to ferment your beer with this la- uh, local and natural kind of approach. Sure. Yeah. So, um, we, uh, we were mashing in a, in a punch in, so we're mashing an oak, which is a nice, uh, and the microflora, it harbors a bunch of bacteria, but the temperature is high enough where we don't get a yeah. sour mash. Um, but I think we get deeper color saturation. We get this, uh, tannin extraction. Um, we get a little better extraction because, uh, because it's, uh, we're, we're the, as rustic as we are. It's like, we'll, we'll, we'll take everything, you know, yeah, and we're, yeah. but we are about an 83% brew house efficiency. So, you know, there's, huh. a, that's something else. Um, yeah, so we, we'll run off to our, our boil kettle, uh, boil. We typically um, will just do um, uh, like our boiling hops, you know, for 60 or 90 minutes. We're not a big hop for brewery. We typically just use Cascades from Goshi Farms. Um, age, not aged? Both. I mean, okay. it's like some beers get aged hops. Some beers get a combination of last year's crop and, yeah. and aged hops. Um but yeah, we have like our little library of, of, of hops and aging those things out. Um, some of our beers get dry hopped. Um, but yeah, so after boiling, we'll run it into this, uh, the settling barrel, like I was telling you about. Um, and the following day we've got, well, four different fermenters. One's, a um, uh, uh, Oregon barrel works, um, eight barrel, 10 barrel, uh, wood vat. Um, so we can, we can do two brews into that. We have a uh, a four barrel uh, Doug Fir fermenter that we got from Hall Woodford that's back east, and then we have a, a couple um, uh, punchins with the heads removed for like our higher gravity three barrel batches. Um, and so we'll, we'll empty the fermenter into barrels and do a little hot. So we call it a hot cycle. We just uh, um, circulate almost boiling water through it after scrubbing it clean, um, and then we'll push our, um, clarified word from sitting overnight into the fermenter and, and pitch our, pitch our house culture into it. And so our house culture is, uh, we've got these two strains of wild Saccharomyces. And so my, the way that we, we, we put these organisms to work is we have a, a puncheon in the brewery where with a heating element in it, and we keep our sourwort culture going in there, our lacto culture, um, very similar to the, the way that German breweries use their sour word is we, uh, we have a, a storage tank and a prop tank. Um, the prop tank is wood with the heating element and every batch, you know, will will uh, acidify our, our mash. So we hit our proper pH and we'll do the same in the kettle, um, with this, uh, sour word that we make. And so that's kind of the lacto portion. Um, our primary fermentation is dominated by these two wild sack strains. Um, and you know, over the course of time, of course they get, uh, um, they've get, they get other organisms in, in there as well. And if we start seeing uh, a change where, uh, you know, we've had pediococcus go rampant in primary, which is always very interesting. Um, we will, you know, we have done acid washing or we'll just get those two strains brought in from Imperial again. Um, but after, um, learning a little bit more about Kvike and, and how Norwegian and Scandinavian brewers manage their yeast. We've been, um, able to do a little bit better job of maintaining our house culture without, uh, without the crutches. Um, 
And then, you know, the barrel aging process after, so yeah, so after fermentation, racking it into barrels, um, the barrel, uh, the Britannomyces and the Pediococcus are primary, you know, their, their, their job is during barrel aging. So primary fermentation is our wild sac strains. We're adding this sour, the lacto component. And then, uh, then the, with the barrel aging, we'll get the impact from the Brett and the, um, and the Pediococcus. How did you, uh, you know, idealize and select for these kinds of things? You know, again, are, were there specific characters that you're looking for in this and, uh, you know, in some flavor profile or, uh, you know, was there a, a more loose and kind of broad approach to this? And are you talking about like the, uh, kind of the, how the organisms each have their own little, Sure. You know, you're, you're selecting out for specific kind of things that are going to produce specific flavors. I mean, you know, f- figuring out how these things go is it's the, you know, one of those big problems and, and challenges in this kind of wild and sour brewing, you know, f- it's one thing to make a product that is just the result of, of whatever bugs you have that doesn't always create a product that people want to buy, drink, uh, and enjoy, or doesn't necessarily get the vision of, flavor that you might want to produce and put out there in the world. How do you triangulate between that idea of the flavors that you want these things to have and how the, um, you know, the organisms that you're using achieve those kinds of flavors? Yeah. So, um, I think at the, the, at the time I was looking at the, the, the brewing culture, the brewing industry and the products that were available. Um, and typically for beers that had a sour component, the thing that went along with them was blending, right? It's like we have sour beer and it's blended. And to me, I, what I wanted to do was I really wanted to see what was possible. And I didn't want to involve myself at the very end of the process to determine how the beer was going to, not necessarily how it was going to taste, but the, um, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be the final judge on, on what was possible. Um, so I went into this with the idea, we're going to do our best to not blend. Right. And so, um, it's very interesting, right? I mean, because, uh, you know, with Lambic beers and the way that they're produced and, um, it's blending's necessary, uh, you know, and then, you know, you have this word that's called spontaneous and, you know, while we do do some spontaneous beers, the fact that we sometimes harvest, I mean, we often harvest and pitch to get a, um, alcoholic fermentation, a primary alcoholic fermentation that's dominated by these wild sack strains, um, I'll lose people, right? I mean, it's like this, this consumer that we're talking to, we're trying to engage with, um, not everybody wants to listen to us wax on about these kind of things. It's, 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 it's complicated and it's, sure. we always don't have answers. And if you say that you're, you know, if I mean, no one like, wants to listen to a winemaker talk about their malolactic fermentation. Oh either. my God. Like, you know, just to, <laughs> now Zachary, yeah. do you hear that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, honestly, I mean, there, there is a limit. I mean, there, there are certain consumers that do care about this kind of thing and are interested in that kind of depth and background around it. But you know, there are also folks that don't want to know how the sausage is made and want to enjoy a nice, well-crafted, thoughtfully uh, considered kind of product. But having said that, like, uh, that's a super big challenge to lay out there for yourself to say, we're going to do these as single string beers and not uh, use these tools of blending that are at your disposal with all the, with all the things that can happen with sure, wild sure. beers. Yeah. It, but that's, that's why our process looks the way that it does is like, I was committed to this idea of making, um, 
and I guess where I was going with this whole idea of spontaneous, like it's, um, I think a lot of people identify spontaneous as natural, which I appreciate, right? It's like you, you make this thing, you sure. leave it out, mother nature lands in it and boom, you've got something. Well, it doesn't always go the way you want it to. And so then the brewer has to come back in and kind of put it together in a certain way. And it's wonderful. Um, I wanted to do something different and I wanted to explore the, uh, the concept of like, okay, well, what's natural to me? Like, what do I, what, where do I draw the line? Um, and so, you know, like with hot water for sanitation and being able to just scoop the yeast off the top and add that later without chemical sanitation to, um, select for these, um, single yeast strains. Um, I've set it up in a way where to me, uh, I feel like I'm creating this natural product, but maybe we're using, um, techniques that, uh, um, well, after Pasteur discovered certain things, right? We're, we're, we're sure, taking certain sure. things and we're using, you know, we use, use a microscope and, uh, we, you know, we, you look, also know the yeast exists, which we is, know that, you know, yeah, it's not the magic past, stick right. all the time, right? but it's kind of like, it's, it's my vision of what we can do in a natural way to, uh, facilitate <laughs> brewing, um, beer the way that, that we are, you know, and, um, I don't know. It just, it, 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 I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and, uh, it's, it's really just like what I think to go back to your earlier point about, uh, celebrating the brewer, it's like our role, you know, the human in this is to, uh, at least for my vision, right. For my little myopic view on what we're doing, the role of the brewer is to recognize, um, a way to, to make, make things work, right. Okay. Uh, this organism prefers, these kind of situations. Um, and this is how we can achieve it with, with some very simple and rustic, um, processes or, uh, techniques, right. Without having to get too deep into technology. Um, we can, you know, I was always inspired when, um, we have this local bakery and they, they've got this sourdough strain that's just phenomenal. And I've been there a few times when they, when they get the thing going and they've got this big crock and this big wooden stick and they, you know, they start mixing it up and I, I've always loved when the two bakers are there and they're like, well, how's it, you know, like what's going on? Well, it feels a little, feels a little more elastic than it did yesterday. Or, you know, like that, that knowledge that where they're, they're continually making this thing, right? I mean, they're turning out their sourdough every day, but that organism is alive and it's changing and they're, they're witnessing the things that they need to do as humans to to get it going in the way that they need it to go. Right. And I mean, I think that's how we're trying to, um, trying to work our beer. It's, uh, without hitting things super hard, you know, I mean, we don't have glycol. Right. And so like, uh, um, we don't force carbonate. And it's like, what are the things that, um, that, you know, we can be patient, we can be very patient. Uh, and a lot of times that's, that's, um, it's worth a lot. I mean, for example, for example, I, on the way out here, uh, Willamette Week up in Portland uh, has chosen one of our beers as a, one of the top 10 beers of 2019, which is awesome. Uh, but the beer they chose was this beer that we, we had made this wheat wine. Uh, our brewer, Connor Curry, had designed this wheat wine, and uh, we had done a small beer from it. And um, the beer came out so tannic. Like, I mean, it was like, you know, it was just, it was we extracted all those tannins, you know, high temperature, the pH was going up and all that stuff. Right. And we extract, we got this beer that we put in barrels 
And we just left it there. We tasted it over the last four years. You know, we've been just watching it. And this last year, we, we were like, hey, you know, this is pretty good. We're going to actually bottle it. And we gave it to our ale club. Well, that's the beer that they chose. And I just like that is uh, it's it's to me, it just it really makes my day because it's like, uh, again, kind of going back to this idea of like where we started. And then for me, if I would have judged that at the beginning, I would have dumped it. Right. I would have said, this is not worth anything, you know, as, as what I know as a brewer, as a, um, for my palate, but, um, we kept it in barrels and, and, and look what, look what happened. It turned into something amazing. And, um, I don't know. I, I like to travel. And, uh, when you're, when you're out traveling around without an itinerary and you're meeting people and, and you get, te- you know, you get people telling you, Oh, you should go check this out. And those are the kind of experiences that, that fill me as a human being, you know? And I think that's, that's really what I'm trying to put into this beer, you know, that we're making. Are there some examples of, you know, as you are working with that beer, as you're hands on and you're tasting the way these things are going, um, and you want to redirect it or you may want to move it in a different direction or you think it might benefit, um, you know, and with that Baker analogy of a little more liquid to, uh, you know, loosen the, the dough a bit, like what, you know, talk to me a little bit about how, you know, you, as you are working through this long process with your beer, um, can kind of move it in some of those directions. Yeah. Well, lately, um, you know, so I guess I, I feel like in a lot of ways we were reinventing the wheel, right? I mean, I feel like probably everything that we're doing, uh, has been done before by another brewer that's figured it out. You know what I mean? It's like, I just feel like a lot of times, um, they got you all the way to this place that you were, and then you decided to walk away walk from away. that and go all the way back to this old and yeah. just start over. But it's 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 been great. I've I've learned a lot. But at least with the, the viewpoint and the understanding and that kind of context of uh, of how those things can be done. Sure, sure. Yeah, and um, like so for our you know, and so like we started in 2011. Um, you know, we're only like nine years into this thing, um, and getting our yeast to um, perform initially was probably a four to six month process. Um, because I had, you know, I had these, um, learning about how the Germans and this whole idea of sourwort helped them kind of negotiate Reinheitsgebot was fascinating, right? It's like, um, I had been used to just dumping mineral salts into the, the, into the mash and in the kettle. It's like not even really thinking about it. Um, and granted, I'm sure there's a lot of brewers in Germany that would have rather done that than have a whole little facility to produce sourwort. Um, but to me, that was like this way that you, you can drive in house character, um, without relying on, um, stuff that's mined out of the ground from who knows where. Right. Um, and so that was kind of like the first, the, you know, the first real, like, Oh, you know, like, um, this is beer making, but this is not in the wheelhouse of the beer making that I was really familiar with. And so, um, having that, uh, what, (laughs) because I was so intrigued with that, we were adding quite a bit of it. Um, and I wasn't really thinking, Oh, well, the reason I want to do that is because I want a low pH for primary fermentation to keep the yeast dominant and the bacteria less dominant. I was just like, I want this in my beer. You know, we're making this, I want it, you know, we're making, going to make beer that's tart, going to make beer that's sour. So this is going to help. Well, um, our primary fermentation, you know, is in low fours to mid fours. Um, and for those first four to six months, uh, the yeast was really, really struggling. Uh, but it, it ended up coming around. And th- so that was, 
probably the first time it's like, okay, so, you know, I can lean in a certain direction and this nature, uh, is going to, to give a little bit, right. They'll, they'll come a certain, they'll, they'll, it'll come a certain distance. Um, and that's kind of the, the play is like, it's, is we can, we can do things a certain way. I mean, so like I was talking about too, as far as, uh, not blending, um, that's not the case all the time, right? I mean, sometimes we do have to blend. And, sure. Uh, and so it's, I think most recently, uh, we have been experiencing some pretty darn low uh, pHs that we are trying to figure out how, how can we keep these things? We have a, we have a sweet spot, you know, three, five uh, is, is a really nice space for our beers. Um, and one of our, our benchmarks after we did this tasting, uh, one of our favorite beers of all time where we were like, we've got to, you know, we, we have to find a benchmark just to know for us. Um, the beer that we chose, uh, through this sensory thing was, uh, was a mistake beer, right? The power had gone out that day. We actually ended up having to get water from the goddamn Creek to finish this (laughs) beer. Um, and it had soured overnight in the brew kettle. And it was just like, it was a clusterfuck. But the beer that came out was for what we consider who we are, what we like, and the flavor profile, that was that was the one. It was three 3.55. It was one of our Sahelis. And so it's, you know, I don't know. It's it's just uh it's this constant push and pull, right? Mother Nature, um, what what we want, what our consumer wants, um, and how do we get there with our, you know, fairly rigid boundaries that we've drawn for ourselves in the sand, you know, like Sometimes we are willing to step over those. Um, you know, we're, we're developing some beers now that uh, we're trying to increase the, uh, the hot bitterness to the point where the beer is, is barely noticeable as tart. You know, it's just, um, these are super fun. It, it's just, it's, it's so fun to be able to uh, know that we can, we can lean up and push against Mother Nature without having to rely on chemicals and, uh, industry, you know, I think it, 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 to me, it's, it's a very grounding thing. So talk to me a little bit about how you come at this. Um, you know, you've now got these natural processes here. How do you idealize or, uh, envision specific beer expressions out of this? You have a generalized process. Um, you know, how do you go about creating say, you know, in, in more beer industry parlance, specific brands that express that in their own different ways that create some uh, different experiences uh, for the people that enjoy drinking your beer? Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question. And it's something honestly that, uh, I think only in the last couple of years have I maybe, uh, felt comfortable with, right. I mean, uh, for, for the first six or seven years, we made basically one beer, that had maybe different ingredients in it that would give it a little nudge this way or that way. Um, and we needed that time, right? We needed to learn what, you know, I mean, it, we're still so young and you look at um, brewing culture and brewing history and you've got some breweries that have such a long pedigree and time to make their product over and over again, where they can really understand what it is. And um, especially without, with, with going into it without a destination, um, we need that time. Um, but lately, you know, so, I mean, one example is we're making a, um, 
kind of similar. We have a, that punch and I was telling you about, we make, we make our sour word in, we've got a heating element in it. You know, um, we're making a barrel, a fermented lager with cooling coils in it. So here I, we, we actually have a little draft glycol system that keeps this, um, keep this thing at uh, lager temperatures and we're actually pitching a lager yeast into it, right? These are things that I, five years ago, I'd be like, I would, I'll never do that. Um, but <laughs> sure, the, sure. the cool thing is, is our house, you know, well, then we'll bottle condition for the house culture. Um, and so then we get to warm the beer up and add our house culture and see what happens. Um, and so I think to answer your question, it, it really comes down to those moments where we're doing something or, um, and somebody has a, has an idea. I mean, um, Hans Chopin and Connor Curry are working with me, uh, in the brewery and it's been, it's been nice to have, uh, have, have people that are totally into what we're doing and think about these things in different ways. You know, Hans, uh, worked with a local bakery and we made this bread beer, um, with their sourdough culture and their bread, um, and Connor's been working on our spontaneous beers. And, um, when we have those moments where it's like, you know, we should, we should try this. Um, that's when, especially if it's going to push it into a realm that's far enough beyond what we are doing as our typical beer. Um, it's got to, it has to come that way. Right. I mean, we need, and again, I guess this goes back to this idea that the brewer needs to be in the brew house the brewer needs to be wearing boots. The brewer needs to be paying attention to what's going on and, 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 you know, prodding, prodding the process, you know, um, how can we do better what we, what we're doing already? And this happens, I mean, this is, and this is, I think why I appreciate what you guys are doing. It's like, this is, this is what brewers talk about. You go on a, a, a brewery tour, um, and it's such a simple process, right? I mean, we all, it's like, we all do the same thing. But then again, we all do different things. And I think that's uh, if you've got brewers that are, are paying attention to what you're doing um, and you're really thinking about it, that's that's the moment that uh, these new angles start popping up and you can say, oh, there's no way we would have got here if we wouldn't have had those four or five, six, seven years of doing this thing basically the same way. Um, there's no way we would have got here to this point now. So now where you are, you know, how now that you have this understanding of that, of how your culture works, how you you know, and have kind of learned these uh, processes that your, uh, you know, your beer likes to move through. How, what are some of the, you know, again, the, the ways that you've found different expressions for those beers and, uh, you know, is that driven by just that curiosity about your own ingredients? Is that also driven by a desire to drink a certain type of beer? Is it, you know, influenced by beers you taste from other brewers where, you know, that's like they're doing this. That's something that's a really interesting idea. I want to figure out how to make something like that my own, you know, where, where, what does that creative process look like for you? I mean, it's kind of all the above. I mean, it's like uh, relationships, uh, for me, uh, I think are huge. Right. And so, um, for example, uh, where our, our barrel cellar is in town, um, we have a, uh, a coffee, a coffee shop. He, uh, Dave beach owns uh, back porch and he makes a point of doing single origin coffee. Um, and because we have had this relationship, he invited me to come on a coffee buying trip down to El Salvador where I met the Menendez family and we got to check out what they do. And at those times it's like, Holy crap, they, you know, they, they're sun drying this, uh, this cascara, right They're When they're making their coffee, they're pulling this fruit off, they're sun drying. And it's like, you know, 
I mean, now we use that, we use that in our B still and we use it for some of our spontaneous beers. Um, and it adds this coffee element without adding a bunch of like over the top, but it has that connection to a place. And I mean, for me personally, like all this stuff has to have, I, I need to be grounded. I suppose I just, it, it a lot of times it, it starts with the relationship with sure, the people sure, that I'm around, sure. um, who inspires me. And it's like, well, um, uh, since I've been uh, so inspired by what you're doing and I, I like all this, oh my gosh, I could use that in my beer. You know, how would we use that? Well, gosh, we could throw that in the mash or we could, you know, we could throw it in, in the, the cool ship. And, you know, I mean, it's like these things grow. I mean, it's, it's like, where does, when, when does a muse strike? You never, you never know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, and another example is, uh, is, yeah, obviously, like you're saying, when you drink beer um, and you really appreciate something, it's like, there's components to certain things and you're like, how would we get that in our beer? How, you know, like how can I adopt some of that? I mean, it's like music, right? You hear something and it's like, how, how can we take a little bit of that and, and, and change it into something that's, that's more who we are. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I guess I don't know how to answer your question, but, uh, you know, it's, it's everywhere. It's like, I, I I think one of the, my favorite things is when I give people a brewery tour, um, and, uh, and if they're willing to listen to all this stuff, uh, they could point at anything, anything in my brew house randomly and they just point at it and say, well, tell me about that. And you know, it's, it's going to have a story and generally it's probably going to have a person involved and maybe, you know, a beer and it's like, well, this is where I came, you know, I mean, that's why that's there. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, I've tried to shy away from the subject and talk about brewing itself, but I, I feel like we can't get out of here without talking about some of the kind of broader trends in the, in the brewing industry. Um, you know, and before we started the podcast, I joked a little bit because it seems like the, the predominant conversation on the, the milk, the funk Facebook group is about how kettle sours have destroyed traditional and wood sour, wood aged sour beers. Uh, and that there's no, no business left in this kind of sector. You know, you produce, and your beers uh, tend to occupy a pretty high price point in the market. You know, you've kind of uh, over the the you know last number of years for the brewery have very specifically gone for that kind of market. Um, you know, they're not a product for everybody. It's not mass market. They're for those people that want to seek it out and understand what it is and want to pay for that. Um, you know, at the same time, formats have been changing for you. Uh, you know, the way that what distributors will actually take have been changing for you. You know, consumer palettes have been changing. Talk to me a little bit about, from your perspective, producing this kind of beer, how, uh, you know, creating these things and the ways and the formats and the packages that people want them, um, you know, has changed for you. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're still in the middle of it, you know, I mean, sure. right, right now it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting times. I mean, um, we recently, I mean, within the last year released, uh, our beer in 375 mil packaging. Um, and that was more of a distributor, uh, request. Um, we had a lot of people that said they were stu- super excited about, uh, about the smaller format. Uh, but honestly, uh, it's been very interesting. We haven't, <laughs> we haven't seen that be, uh, favorable to our 750 mil packaging. Interesting. Yeah. And some of these places that we're all excited about it and ordered a bunch of 375s have actually gone back toward in 750s. Um, which for me, it's great. I, I prefer the 750 mil. Um, I, I don't think we're going to move away from the 375s. 
Um, I was just talking to Chad Jacobson at Crooked Stave yesterday uh, about the same thing that, uh, you know, even though they've made a move for some of these beers in the 375s, they haven't been selling. They actually don't sell as well, you know, in terms of net revenue as 750s. So as much as people think that that is a trend, uh, you know, and is changing the industry, it doesn't seem to actually be reflecting in, in sales to that same kind of degree. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, for, I mean, for us, it, it may have something to do with the fact of, you know, our brand and our price point um, that regardless, it's just it's going to take someone that's willing to, uh, you know, make that decision. Um we are, you know, one, one thing I will say, which I'm very proud to say, which, uh, some people <laughs> have told me not to, not to tell anybody, but I mean, we're, we're actually lowering our prices this year. Huh. Um, and it's, 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 uh, you know, when you go from 125 barrels, uh, sales volume to 250, we're doubling and it's not, it's not very much, but it's, uh, it's worked out for us to the point where, uh, and our, you produce 250 barrels of, of well, beer a year. We produce a little more than that. We sell about okay. 225 okay. to 250. Um, but you know, with our tasting room and being able to sell retail as, but you know, for the first eight years, I just sold wholesale distribution, right. uh, tasting rooms, helping with that. Um, but anyway, it's, it's been this more cause you know, the, the comment you made about our price point is from the beginning has always been a struggle for me. It's, uh, I went into this, um, very intentional with like trying to show how, um, how difficult running a small business could be um, and not needing to sell a bunch of beer. It was like, well, you know, this is going to be the price and it's going to just get more expensive the further away you get from the brewery, which should be reality. And uh, it's not, you know, it's, it's not. And it, especially when you're in competition with other, other brands um, and breweries that produce more. Um, but when I was, when I, I told myself, when I got to the point where we could, we could reduce prices that we're going to do it. And, um, you know, I think last year we were looking at, um, our high end, we're like 32 to $35 bottles. Um, I'm hoping that we, we don't, we don't have to break the $30 price point anymore. Um, and this is different than the wine, you know, like, and this is a whole thing. Like, I think when I got into this, I thought that, uh, we were going to trend like wine, right? I mean, the idea of, uh, boutique or uh, high-end product and the appreciation for that, that we would trend like wine. And, you know, beer uh, has always had this component of being closer to, um, let's say, real people, common people. And so for even for us who are building, brewing this, uh, this beer that takes a lot of time and energy, um, what can we do to make that more accessible? You know, we can buy a Corker Cager machine. We can, um, we can employ people who are, um, dedicated to helping me figure out how to make this get to market in a more efficient manner. Um, but I'm, I, I'm super stoked about this. And, uh, um, because there's one thing like, you know, like the, the two things that people like when I, over the last five or six years, like if they hear the yellow apothecary, it's, uh, it's generally like. Oh, it's expensive and I can't get it right. And, and if you're running a business, those, those two things, um, aren't probably the best, (laughs) you know what I mean? Sure. Um, and in reality, those two things are probably fairly accurate, but at the same time, they're not totally accurate. And so we're trying to figure out how do we, you know, I mean, this is kind of like going back to what I was talking to you before, like, how do we, 
um, without a sales and marketing budget, how do we communicate to people? You know, and I'm, I've got this little blog. If we do some Instagramming, um, but uh, in this busy, busy industry we're in, how do you get your point across and how do you tell people who you are and, and what you want? And, um, for us, it's, it's looking more and more like, you know, we have this ale club, we have a, a membership club, yeah. um, which has been instrumental to who we are. Uh, and they are our sales and marketing team. Um, and I'm super, again, I'm super, um, fortunate and I feel honored that we have these people coming back year after year to help support who we are and what we're doing. Um, because we don't need to, you know, not need to, but we, we're not forced to go make commodity beer, you know? And, yeah, um, yeah, that's, that's the angle we're, we're taking. And so what does success look like for you and for ale apothecary? Well, I'm, I'm, I feel, uh, I feel like we're in it right now. I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't change a thing. Um, I have no desire, like never is, you know, it's this word that I probably shouldn't use, but, uh, I'm committed to keeping the brew house where it is. You know, I mean, we're, we're about the place we're about, uh, um, this product and this process that we've created. And I'm just hopeful that, um, now, so I guess, yes, to specifically answer your question, success for me is to involve more people into kind of the idea that art and culture and history are important. And that as a, uh, as hot as it sounds, right. As in this alcoholic consumer partying culture, um, we are the stewards of that. And, uh, the more that I hear that brewers are interested in making, um, that important, uh, that's success. You know, I mean, the fact that we have people that are interested in our beer because of that, that's success. Um, we're paying our people, uh, um, we're getting by. I, I, I don't have any big dreams of selling I mean, Well, there's no way that anybody in the right mind would buy this company, <laughs> sure. but, sure, uh, sure. you know, I'm, I'm stoked on what we have going on and, um, I'm, I'm happy with where we're at. If people want to learn more about Ale Apothecary, the Ale Apothecary, where do you, where do they find you? Uh, the blog is mountainbrewery.org. Our website is thealeapothecary.com, which uh, is going to be undergoing some renovations here soon. It's been it's been a landing page splash page for years, but uh, we're going to start. Um, you know, in Oregon, uh, we're allowed to ship uh, directly to consumers in Oregon, and that's yeah. we're going to start making that available in this new website. Um, Tavor, uh, is a good representative of us. So you can get sure, help. Sure. Yep. Um, I've noticed then, your bottles popping up every once in a while. Not, not a whole lot, but yeah. And then, uh, Instagram, we've got the yellow apothecary on Instagram and that's kind yeah. of got our, our big picture stuff. Yeah. Well, cheers. Uh, nearly 2000 breweries across the U S Canada, Mexico partner with G and D chillers, old orchard supplies, craft juice blends from the heart of beer city, USA. SS Brewtech has the people and skill sets you expect from your supplier pro brewing equipment. And Second Kitchen connects local breweries and iconic neighborhood restaurants to keep customers in your tap room longer. If you've enjoyed this conversation, uh, like the one I just had with Paul, I hope you uh, go to beerandbrewing.com, click on the subscribe button, and become a subscriber to Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. Um, Paul, thanks for joining me here on the podcast. Thanks, Jamie. It's this been is a great. fun conversation, and I think I, I really appreciate your unique approach, um, creative approach, and grounded approach to, to making beer. No, I appreciate your interest in keeping this thing going, man. Thank you. Cool. Cheers. 
This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.com.